Here's what's coming up on today's show. When you have automatic things that are just really done, computer generated, it's really hard for that fund to take advantage of when the market's doing well, and then also position itself in a way that it's not negatively impacted as much when the market's not doing well. Welcome to Marsha on Money with Marsha Harris, the founder and CEO of Unified Wealth and Retirement Planning. Welcome into another edition of Marsha on Money. Thanks for checking out the podcast with Marsha Harris and myself talking about going against the grain. You know, being a good advisor isn't about a popularity contest or winning a popularity contest. We're just saying the same things that everyone else in the industry says. Maybe the traditional thing is not always the right thing. So it's about giving the best advice you can for an individual situation. And so on today's show, we're going to talk about places where maybe going against the grain is a good thing or maybe traditional is a good thing. Either way, that'll be the conversation piece. Marsha, welcome in. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, do you think in life that uh, do you go against the grain? Do you think do you, can you uh, can you push back against the norms a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's more fun, right? Well, this is true. For sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got to be a rebel, right? Got to be a rebel. Yeah. Rebel without a without a cause, without, without a with without a cause, a with a cause, with something. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I got a couple of basic things here, mainstream ideas, and and what I was hoping you would do for us is. I'll set it up and you just kind of tell us a little bit about how that traditional aspect may or may not be the right fit. Now, every situation is different. I realize that. So just generalize, okay? Mm-hmm. So sure. we'll start with risk, for example. The appropriate amount of risk for a retiree or pre-retiree, most people will hear something like a 60-40 portfolio, right? A traditional 60-40, you got 60% at risk and in equities or whatever, and you've got 40% in safe, right? So that's the that's the kind of the risk quotient there or the rule of 100, same kind of idea. But maybe 60% risky is way too much for a particular person. So talk to me a little bit about that. So, you know, we first want to start really with the way that we do it in our office is starting with income planning because typically where someone's income will be coming from every month is most important. Right. And so once we start figuring that out, then we shift to the risk conversation because um, we want to take care of that income first. And it may be that in order to get the income that client needs, they may need to use quite a bit of their assets to do that. So we may not be able to take as much risk with their portfolio as we would for someone else of the same age uh, with the same amount of assets, because you know that would be sort of a, a cookie cutter approach, right? To say, for example, someone comes in, two people, they're both age 65, they have the same amount of money, but to invest them the same way would really be a disservice to them mm-hmm. if it wasn't a fit for their individual situation. In other words, one person may need to live on those assets and the other person may not. So we would invest those people very differently. Yeah. Someone who is going to rely on those assets more heavily typically cannot take on the kind of risk that someone who would not be using those assets could take. So that's really how we look at that. There's kind of that rule of 100 that, you know, is usually thrown around kind of a little rule of thumb. Yeah, that's right? what I was referring to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Break that we down look at that and say, yeah, sure. So you take the number 100, subtract someone's age. Whatever number is left is, you know, kind of represents the 
the maximum amount of risk that they should have on their so money. If so if you're 60 yeah. minus 100, 40% at risk. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, sorry, that's, 40, that's I'm, the rule of 100. I'm sorry. Yeah. 40% at risk, 60% safe. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah. And many times what I've seen over the years is those numbers are usually completely flipped. Hmm. You know, someone 65 or 70 could come in and rather than in that scenario of the rule of 100, having, you know, 30 to 35% at most at, at risk mm-hmm. in the market, right. they've got, it's the other way around. It's 65 or 70% is at risk. I, I got So yeah, usually people are surprised to find that <laughs> the way flopped. they're invested is not really aligned with what their risk tolerance is. And usually when they find that out is when, you know, unfortunately we have something like a, a, a 2008, yeah. 2009 where, yeah, then they realize, wow, I have a lot more risk than what I knew. Well, or even, even this year so far, right? The first half of 22, which is why so many people have been up in arms about the, the level of volatility in the market, because the last 12 years, aside from the little quick turn downturn during the pandemic initial uh, couple of months risk is we love risk when everything's going up <laughs> you know sure, so the market's sure. been very favorable for 12 years well when it starts getting choppy and you don't and you see the volatility bouncing in your account more than you realized that's when people start calling because they're like hey why am i why am i you know moving so much well because it's the way you were allocated you you're taking on more risk than maybe you realized so mm-hmm. It's important Mm -hmm. to kind of find that out and get that structure. But to your point, going against the grain could be so for if you had those two people that you mentioned and one person does have a pension, um, you know, maybe a government pension, let's say, and they've got, you know, their Social Security. And then couple B does not have that. Couple A wants to take more risk because they can, because Mm -hmm. they have that secure income uh, coming in first to cover all those things, whereas couple B does not, right? So that's where exactly. it's going to change up from person to person. So That's right. Okay. Uh, appropriate uses of life insurance. Let's go to this one. Now, the traditional thinking, Marsha, is this life insurance is a, a middle-aged person's game, I suppose, right? We really need this when we're, we've got families and we've got to replace income if something happens to us. But once we become a retiree, who needs life insurance anymore? Yeah, that's a great point. And there is that you know, misconception that, uh, and, and not that it doesn't really serve that. Of course, that's, that is a primary driver of life insurance in right. those earlier years. Like you said, family, uh, you know, a mortgage on the home, mm-hmm. something happens. And a lot of times, you know, people will take out life insurance on whoever's the primary breadwinner, because God forbid something happened to them. You right. know, you've got these other expenses that need to be accounted for yet once you're older and maybe empty nesters and you don't, Maybe you don't have the mortgage anymore. People sort of view life insurance as a thing of the past. You know, it's not anything that they need anymore. But I would argue that, yeah, there are plenty of other uses for it. We certainly use it in our planning that we do when people are entering retirement and they're looking at if they're, and these are becoming fewer and far between, but if they're looking at taking a pension, if they have a pension option and they're trying to decide between whether to take maybe a single or a joint payout on that pension, we use life insurance in that planning because sometimes it makes sense for them to take the larger payout every month, which is the single individual payout versus a joint survivor, and then use life insurance to replace that that pension benefit. So exactly. Yeah, we use it in that planning. And we also use insurance products today, you know, have 
they've come a long way. Yeah, they've been, they've and, been re- rebuilt. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They they really serve a, a nice retirement income um, need as well. Many yeah, times, cash so. value policies, right? That goes, yeah, You absolutely. could use that for things where the death benefit could be used while you're still living or could go to your heir. I mean, just lots of different options. So Absolutely, yeah. yes. So again, go against the grain a little bit. It's not just a traditionalism that we tend to think of in some of these conversations. Uh, let's talk about debt. I'm going to lump, I had really two versions on here, but I think I'm just going to lump them into one, Marsha, because handling debt, whether it's credit card debt or the house or whatever the case is, yes, those are different kinds of debt, but many advisors, a lot of advisors, you'll probably hear some big talking heads say all debt is bad, get rid of all of it before you retire or you've made a big mistake. And I don't know if that's the case anymore. And I can, and honestly, can you even really truly live in this country without having some level of debt in retirement? So I think it's a bit of a misnomer. So the, the going against the grain might be, hey, let's look at the math and see what makes this makes the most sense. Do we pay off the house with a large chunk of money, for example, when our interest rate is lovely 3% or do we take, take that money and invest it and maybe make 6%? Like what's the best move? Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you you said it. I couldn't say it any better. It was exactly the example I was going <laughs> to use. So good job. Good job. I'm learning um, from you. Oh, well, that's I'm flattered. I doubt that, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, I get this question a lot, you know, because many times in the, the age group of people that I'm serving that are getting ready to retire, they're usually in that early to mid, sometimes late 60s. And so mm-hmm. the mortgage that's remaining is relatively small in you know terms of where it was 30 years ago or right. 25 years ago and so the question is should i go ahead and just pay this off you know my answer to that is always what assets would that be coming from you know that's what we really need to look at again a case by case basis because what may make sense for one person wouldn't make sense for someone else so if your interest rate is lower generally on your debt than what you could earn on your investments, then, you know, logically it would seem like investing would be the way to go because you could earn more on that money than what it's costing you on that debt. And that's the key term logically, but the house could be emotional. Right. And then we also have to look at, um, it is, yes, because it's certainly for some people, it's a very psychological hindrance to them because they have been of a mindset that when that day came Mm -hmm. that they would retire, they would not have debt or they at least would not have a mortgage payment. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a struggle. Um, and it's certainly, it's a very valid topic that we spend a lot of time helping each individual figure out what's best for them because sometimes it's a, a cash flow thing too, where maybe the balance on the mortgage isn't necessarily that much, but the payment every month, right? That cash flow for them coming out in relation to what's coming in could be a significant chunk. And so it might be worth looking at just eliminating that. So it just depends on on the situation. Yeah. And at the end of the day with this one, especially, you know, obviously credit card debt, bad debt, those kinds of things. We want to try to get that stuff for sure, especially with interest rates ticking up right now, because that's just going to cost you even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the home at the end of the day, yeah, do the math, do the logic and then see what that dictates. But then, Marsha, you got to take you have to take the the tummy rule into effect on this one, because if the, the client basically says to you, even after you've showed that it makes more sense mathematically to do the 
difference do this you know item like here like not paying off the house and they go look I'm popping too many pill or too many tums right I'm, <laughs> my stomach is way too upset I gotta I gotta get rid of this house then that's a different conversation that's what okay look then let's figure out a way to do this um, and not hurt ourselves too much right so that we can get you that peace of mind because that's going to be the big factor too Right, right. It's yeah. Let's figure out a way to do this to give you um, the peace of mind and and just freedom that you're looking for. But maybe taking that withdrawal out of a an IRA or something is not the best option, you know. And yeah. many times that's kind of what people, let's say they were left to do it on their own. And I've I've met people unfortunately that have done this and then they've mm-hmm. sought guidance after the fact and then it's too late. Um, you know, they take it out of a, a taxable account. So mm-hmm. now yeah. you're. You know, are you really bettering your situation by doing that? Many times you're not. So that's why it's important to, you know, make sure you're really educating yourself and looking at all of the options before you make such a big decision. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm going off on a tangent, but I think that's the fun part about it. As you mentioned on our last show, an unscripted podcast where we're just talking, is if you're trying to get the house paid off before retirement, let's say you've identified 62 as your retirement age and you're under 59 and a half and you're like, oh, we owe 75000 on the house. Let's take it out of our IRA. Well, mm-hmm. you're messing yourself up pretty good because not only are you paying the tax, you're paying the penalty because you're mm-hmm. not old enough. And if the market's down like it's been, Marcia, now you're also selling you know, at a low. So you're kind of locking in your losses. So you could really be kind of triple hitting yourself here. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, you could be throwing all this other income that you have outside of that withdrawal into a higher tax bracket as well, depending on where you are. So, you know, it it could, you could just really, it could be this whole snowball effect of um, kind of starting a potentially bad, you know, situation and making it worse. So definitely big decision. And it, you know, warrants a a lot of conversation and, and really some analysis to make sure you know, that you're going down the right path. It does. It does for sure. So I'll, I'll move on so I don't belabor the point too much, but you get the idea, folks. So as always with any of this stuff, if you need some help or something sparks an interest, which is why we do the podcast and then something kind of resonates, and you're like, yeah, I got to talk about that or I got to think this through, definitely reach out to a qualified professional like Marsha before you take any action. Um, let's talk about appropriate uses of a couple of products, something like an annuity. Yes, I dropped the A word, <laughs> which, which is very polarizing <laughs> to people. I'm like, oh no, he said it. Um, but you know, they've changed. Like we talked about life insurance earlier. Annuities have changed so dramatically in the last 20 years and they all kind of have a, a bad reputation based on the one cousin who went through school and was problematic for their teachers. Right. <laughs> and now all the other cousins get a bad rep, even though they might be good students kind of thing. It's a silly analogy, but you get what I'm saying. To your point, annuities have this, um, kind of got the bad rap. I think back in the days of the variable annuity. So I'm going to throw out two bad words instead of one. Okay. Um, And yes, they've come a long way. Like many financial products, um, these products are always evolving. And the great thing about the marketplace that we have is that it benefits consumers that we have so much evolution, so much competition, because all of these companies are fighting for the same business, right? Right, So in order to when your business over, they need to always better their products. And mm-hmm. so we we do benefit from that. And the annuities are no exception to that. So variable annuities were annuities. It used to be um, that the, really, essentially we had two types. We had variable and we had fixed. And the variable 
were in the market. You have mutual funds inside of that annuity Mm -hmm. and you have a death benefit that you're paying for. So just like life insurance, you know, you have expense charges for that death benefit. And then you have these expense charges for the mutual funds. So variable very annuities, yeah. very high fees. Yeah. And then there were these, you know, we call them living benefit riders that come into play as well uh, that can, you know, provide income and guaranteed withdrawals and things like that. And there's a cost for that as well. So when you add that all together, variable annuities, in addition to having risk of loss, also had fees that, you know, on average would run you somewhere between, let's say, three and 5% a year. Yeah. Okay. That's hefty. So could be pretty, you know, especially over time. And, um, you know, that adds up. So then the fixed, the opposite end of the spectrum was the fixed annuity, which didn't have any of that market risk and doesn't have any of the fees. Kind of agreed upon fixed rate for a fixed period of time. Yeah. So think like bank CD, mm-hmm. but Very which similar. is a comp. Very similar, like a contract with a bank where they say, okay, if you put your money in this CD for X amount of months, we're going to give you this interest rate. And typically, the longer you commit, the higher the rate that they give you. Fixed annuity, same concept. It's just a contract with an insurance company instead of a bank. Bank, But yeah, you know, the... You can't earn any more than that fixed rate. And that's, you know, kind of a negative, especially when we're in an environment like today where rates are going up and you might be locked into something like that where you were getting right. a lower rate. Yeah. But the positive side of the fixed annuity was that you didn't have to worry about any losses. So the industry saw that there were, you know, benefits to both of those products because the variable annuity, yes, it has risk, but it also gave you more growth potential. So they said, what if we could take that that growth potential <laughs> that the variable annuity has? They made and a we hybrid. Could, <laughs> yes, marry that with the safety of the fixed. And yes, hence the the hybrid product, which is known as the indexed annuity. Yeah. We use these a lot in our industry. Billions of dollars flow into these every year out of mutual funds, out of the market, because especially for retirees and pre-retirees, they're wanting to move more into that preservation and distribution phase of their financial life and out of accumulation, which is, you know, kind of the growth years and the risky years. So the annuities are a great fit for that, coupled with the fact that they have income writers and things that can provide, you know, guaranteed lifetime income. So we're using them, you know, every day in this industry to help people have that that income that they know will be there as long as they are. Yeah. And that's, and, and it's become more of the norm. And so I know our topic's been going against the grain, but you know, there some, if all a, a financial person is offering you as an annuity, that's probably a problem. You know, there, there's, there's other tools in the toolbox. So just making sure that you're working with someone who has access to the, the array of tools that way they can find the right fit for you. Cause it's not going to be the right tool for everybody. So you just got to make sure that you find in the right situation that's going to work for you. And the same kind of thing, I like how you talked about kind of marrying or merging. Um, my next one on here was mutual funds because you think about like a target date fund, Marsha, we typically, we get a job, we don't know what to pick. So we pick the target date fund. It's easy. That's why they invented them. That's why they made them, right? So, And they're usually stocked full of mutual funds and they have a lot of fees. And so going against the grain might be saying, there's many advisors who are now are starting to move away. They don't use mutual funds at all, but they might use something like an ETF, which is kind of a, the evolution, if you will, of a mutual fund. Yeah, it's true. And and to what you were saying about target date, it is a very, um, just a hands-free approach yeah. to investing and where 
I think they are appealing to employees um, who have an employer plan that has access to target date funds. Typically, employees don't understand, you know, the inner workings of mutual funds. They don't really know what the holdings are in that fund right. or and the we're risk always, that's associated <laughs> yeah. with it. We're yeah. always doing it on HR day, right? If you're starting at a new job, like they give you like this half day, yeah. you're doing all this paperwork and you're like, oh, just click that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's it's just a way to say, okay, if you put it in this fund, it's going to automatically, you know, make these changes for you, yep. uh, whatever, however, so often that is dictated by that fund. And as you keep moving through your working years and you're getting closer to retirement, the idea is that that target date fund will rebalance itself and will shift out of risky things yeah. into and, more and most of us that's, not risky. That things. sounds good. That's good enough for me, right? That's good enough for most people. So we, that's it's a very easy mechanism to to select. Yeah, and then what comes along with that though, because easy is not always the best way, <laughs> right. is um, you know that the performance of those funds isn't always as favorable as it is for their peers, nice. you know, in the in the same category, the same type of fund structure. Um, when you have automatic things that are just really done computer generated, it's really hard for that fund to take advantage of when the market's doing well, and then also position itself in a way that it's not negatively impacted as much when the market's not doing well. It yeah. doesn't typically right navigate between those two those things as efficiently yeah. as as what a human could do that. So when you have something that's just um based on a, you know, kind of computer algorithm uh, Which we're all familiar with now, right? Facebook yeah, and things like yeah. that. We all hear about the algorithms. And you're like, how come I don't see my friends anymore? That kind of thing, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then to your point, they're they're usually um, they carry a lot more cost as yeah. well. And so the hybrid or the 2.0 or the evolution or whatever is the ETF, which basically acts. It has a lot of the properties of a mutual fund. But they typically have less fees. They trade like a stock. So uh, it's like if a stock at a mutual fund had a baby, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So there, you, you do have that flexibility in exchange-traded funds where you can get in and out of them um, throughout the day versus you know a mutual fund where you know the pricing for that fund is going to be whatever the market closes at that day. So if you decide that you wanted to buy uh, or more importantly, let's say with all this volatility that <laughs> right. we've seen, you decide that you want to sell Get because out. the yeah. market's, you know, just not doing well and it's down for, you know, five or 10 days in a row. And you're nervous about that. And you're thinking, you know, I just want to get out. If it's one day in particular where things are really, really bad, you can sell at 930 in the morning when the market opens, but you're not going to get out of that mutual fund until the market closes at 4 PM. Right. So if it continues to go down throughout the day, right. there's nothing you can do nothing, about that. Yep. Whereas with an exchange traded fund, to your point, trades like a stock. So you can purchase it throughout the day at whatever the price is then and sell it the same way. Yep. Great point. Well, I know we went a little long this week, folks. So thanks for hanging in here with us. Just one more. We'll knock it out real fast. And it's just the conversation around cash. Um, you know, the traditional thing is to have a certain amount of, you know, an emergency fund, which we definitely want to have. That's certainly a great idea. But for some people, I guess where I was going to focus this is uh, it's kind of like the house. It's an emotional conversation. For many people, they want to see a certain dollar amount in their bank, Marsha. And if they don't see it, it makes them really nervous, even though the math might say you are hurting yourself. Let's do something else. Yeah, it's I always tell clients that, you know, 
I want them to keep whatever amount of cash in the bank um, that that helps them sleep at night, right? So that number's different for everyone. And of course, within reason, you know, you have some people that just um, to their own detriment may be very cash heavy, especially now. Again, I, I know we keep talking a lot about inflation on our show, but that's because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're living it. It's, yeah. It's it's the highest in 40 years. Yeah. So we need to talk about it. And if you are sitting heavily in cash and you're not earning anything on that money or very little, you know, it is hurting you in the long run when things are increasing their cost at such a rapid rate. So we we want to be mindful of that, but certainly having cash, enough cash that you know you're comfortable and um that's really we're we're okay with that. We want people okay. to be comfortable. Okay. So whatever yeah. that is, you know, we want to help them achieve that. Yeah, and there is there is a break point. I mean, there is a place where hopefully your advisor again, it's not about the popularity contest. If they're if you're sitting on a hundred thousand dollars in cash when twenty five really more than covers everything you need, a good advisor is gonna say, We really need to talk about this. Now, whether or not you know, they, they go ahead and back down after you explained your reasoning and just say, well, hey, it's your money, which the advisor is going to do. It's your plan. But I just wanted to, to address with you why you might want to consider not having quite so much sitting there because you just really are hurting yourself. So I think that, again, that's that's uh, the job of a good advisor is to, I get this is why you're doing this, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, but let me just explain to you why it might not be the best thing for you, right? Yeah, because there are so many products. Again, today, you know, we have at our fingertips and being an independent advisor like I am, I have access to anything out there for the most part. So maybe, you know, we're not suggesting we should take, in your example, maybe 75,000 of that (laughs) 100,000 if 25 covers everything. And let's let's throw caution to the wind and swing for the fences and put it in the market. Heavens no, we would never want to do that. But we do have other things that are safe against market risk like that bank account, but could give them much better rates of return without having to give up that safety. Yeah. Those are the conversations we want to have. And maybe, maybe that's a product that they only need to commit to for 12 or 24 months. So it might even be very short term. So there are solutions out there. And yeah, we just we want to make sure that we're exploring all of those avenues so that they're doing the best thing for them. Yep. You want to make sure that sometimes you go against the grain, uh, you go against the normal thing so that you're getting the best possible advice for the situation that you're in. And of course, we appreciate your time. So I'll wrap this up real quick. Thanks for hanging out with us here on the podcast, Marsha Harris and myself. Marsha is the founder and CEO and investment advisor representative at Unified Wealth and Retirement. Find her online at unifiedwealthplanning.com. That's unifiedwealthplanning.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, Marsha on Money, on whatever platform you like to use. And if you need some help, certainly reach out to her and get on her calendar uh, for a conversation. You can do all of that right from the website, unifiedwealthplanning.com. Marsha, have a great week. I'll see you soon. Thanks. You too. Had a great time. Absolutely. Take care. We'll talk to you soon right here on Marsha on Money with Marsha Harris. The opinions expressed by Marsha Harris and guests on this radio show are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. 
Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Unified Wealth Planning are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. Any comments regarding safe and secure products and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. Index or fixed annuities are not designed for short-term investments and may be subject to caps, restrictions, fees, and surrender charges as described in the annuity contract. Guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying ability of the issuer. Registered investment advisors and investment advisor representatives act as fiduciaries for all of our investment management clients. We have an obligation to act in the best interests of our clients and to make full disclosure of any conflicts of interest, if any exist. Please refer to our firm brochure, the ADV 2A page 4, for additional information.